Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. I think we have an interesting topic today. We do. It's very timely. Um, It's certainly been the subject of conversations both in the divorce circles, but also outside of the divorce circles. Um, But let's be realistic about it. When a couple splits up, one of the most common events that occur is one or both move. And generally, the home that they lived in is either going to be bought by one or the other couple, one or the other of the couple, or sold on the open market. And there's going to be either a rental of a new place or the purchase of a new place, all of which tends to uh, trigger the conversation of should we be splitting up right now because the real estate market is currently going through somewhat of a correction. Or the other side of that is, can I afford to buy considering that I have only half of the income that we used to have because the other half of that income is gone and interest rates are up. So that's the topic of today. And um, have you had any calls or any conversations about that with clients recently? Um, I haven't recently, but I've certainly, um, you know, in the past, it, this type of issue is one that comes up. I mean, I remember when we first went into the whole COVID thing and there was, although the market did the opposite, it just went up, 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 up. There was a concern by some people or some of my clients at the time that this was going to have a really negative effect on the real estate market and, you know, prices are going to go down. So should they sell? So, um, you know, right now we're in a situation with interest rates going up and the market is definitely going down and predicted to, you know, depending on who you listen to, uh, some people say it's going to crash and other people say, no, it's, it, you know, it may go down a bit, but it's not going to be anything crazy. Um, but yeah, I haven't had any recent calls. How about you? I have. And I'll tell you, in some of my cases right now, it's a really live issue. So by way of example, um, I have one case where they had agreed months ago that husband was going to buy wife out on the value of the house. And they agreed on the particular value of the house because they went and spoke to a bunch of real estate agents and they agreed on the value. And now the husband is saying, well, I, I agreed to pay 1.8, but the houses on the street are now selling for about $50,000 less because of the change in the market conditions. And as a result, I would like to knock $50,000 off. Well, the wife is now very upset with that and she's in a box because she's saying, well, hold on. Um, I committed to buying something on the understanding that I was gonna get X dollars and now I'm not getting those X dollars. So it's a domino effect. Husband is saying, I'm not required to pay you more than market value and the market value has shifted. So both of them are right or both of them are wrong. And in any event, it creates a buckling effect. And the wife is boxed, why? Because what's her alternative? To go to the market and sell it and, and then crystallize that loss? And she's already moved out. She can move back in, but it's very, very weird, difficult, and quite frankly, not realistic. I have another case where the, um, the change in the interest rates have fundamentally changed my client's ability 
to fund the new mortgage because he was planning on going variable. Well, variable a year ago when they split up was a very different number. And this is a situation where the, the budget that he had established to both divorce and to pay child support and to pay spouse support and to, to pay the mortgage and the property taxes on his new home were all based on certain realities. Well, child support hasn't gone down. Spousal support hasn't gone down, but the cost of funding that large mortgage has gone up. And so what was going to be a, um, a mortgage amount of about 1500 is now close to $3,000. And as a result of that additional sum, which by the way is after tax dollars, has created a real pinch. And he's boxed into the need to close on a property that he bought. He really has nowhere to go. He has to close on the property, otherwise he's in breach of contract. He has to pay the child and the spousal support that he agreed to. And now he has to find an additional, what amounts to about another thirteen or $1,400 after tax, which is another $3,000 before tax, which is another about $40,000 that he is not earning. So the market conditions have indeed created some very serious crunches in um, a variety of divorce outcomes, whether the divorce outcome is the buyout of a home or the purchase of a new home. Um, and we are now in that crunch. And so for some people, they're just going to have to either breach contracts. And, and you may recall some of our viewers, we talked about at the very beginning of COVID, the equitable legal doctrine of frustration. In other words, when COVID first came, could people get out of contracts that they signed? Like the typical example that we used, I guess two years ago, Leanne, was the client who owns a restaurant and they equalized the value of the restaurant at $500,000. Well, that restaurant is since closed and he committed to paying his wife half of two, 500,000, 250, based on the knowledge that the restaurant was worth half a million dollars, but now it doesn't even exist. So we talked about the doctrine of frustration then. So then the question becomes, how do we get out of the deals that we signed on to today when the market conditions have shifted significantly in a very short period of time? Is it possible that we will be able to invoke the doctrine of frustration? And by the way, do the people who are in this situation have time and have the funds to litigate whether the house should be sold for that or not? I don't think so. No, I mean, it's a really tough situation that, you know, some people are finding themselves in. And, you know, as you just said, they, you know, to have to litigate is going to cost them a lot of money. So they're better off to try and figure out a solution. Um, but certainly, you know, if you've entered into a, a contract and you've signed it or an agreement, you know, if you've signed, um, you know, minutes of settlement or, you know, if you've signed a separation agreement and things like that, then, you know, you could be sued for damages if you don't honor the terms of what you've signed. You know, I think that the gray area falls like the, well, the people who haven't who've been negotiating, but they haven't actually finalized and signed something. It's easier you know, for them to walk away and want to change the terms. But it's that group who signed something thinking a certain set of uh, facts were going to be the case. And now it is a very different picture. And, 
you know, they are going to, be, you know, they can be responsible for those, those damages. Um, but, you know, the cost for the other party to, to sue them and pursue it, maybe, maybe so much that they decide they'd rather just negotiate, come out with some sort of, you know, alternative that isn't the, their first pick, but it's acceptable, you know, to get through the situation. Um, you know, and I think the, the flip side of it is, I know I had a, a file uh, for the last three years where my client wanted to buy out um, the matrimonial home because uh, it had a family business on it as well. And the, uh, the other the spouse, the other spouse was refusing and the market just kept going up and up and up and up. And he did end up buying it out, but, you know, he paid a much higher price than he would have paid years earlier when his spouse was refusing to sell it to him. And, you know, and then now we have the market going down again. So, you know, that's kind of a tough situation to be in as well. So let's talk about some real life hard decisions that people that are divorcing right now need to make. So scenario one, the parties are splitting up. They're still living in the home with the kids and the mortgage is coming up for renewal. And they now have to S blank blank T or get off the pot. What does that mean? <laughs> they have to decide do we, as a divorcing couple, renew the mortgage as opposed to get this house sold before the mortgage comes due? That's a very tough question because if they say yes to that, that means they continue to be economic partners on the property and may face the collapse fee on the mortgage should they sell. If they go variable, they will be paying an ever-rising monthly sum in mortgage payments. If they go fixed, well, if they go fixed, how long are they fixing to stay together for? And are they going to live together for that fixed period of a year or two or three or four or five? Not great. One of our viewers has already said, I left the home and it's uncomfortable to go back. Some people emotionally don't even want to drive to that house because they left it, let alone move back into it. So yeah. first of all, there's the question, if you're going through the divorce right now and rates are going up, inflation is going up, the cost of new rental is going up, incomes are not exactly going up with inflation and interest rates. So what do you do? Do you revisit separation? And what does that mean? Does that change your date of separation? If you say to yourself, hmm, really bad time to split up, does that mean you stay with your spouse and delay the actual date of separation, which is the valuation date? Or do you keep the valuation date of whatever that was, but you continue sharing the household um, use and expenses? Scenario number two, one of you have already moved out and the house mortgage is coming up for renewal or it's on a variable basis and is going up. The post-separation adjustments is going to be a dog's breakfast. Why? Because as those rates go up, 
the mortgage payments go up, the principal portion of the mortgage payments goes down, the person who is occupying the house says, I'm half owner. Give me your half of the mortgage payments. The person that's not in occupation of the home is saying, why would I also have to pay rent and pay this additional cost for this higher mortgage, lower principal, higher interest? What's that? The argument is, let's just sell the house right now. But the person that's in occupation of the house is saying, I'm not going to sell the house. So the person that's not in occupation of the home says, well, I can force the sale, kind of, because the law does say that a joint owner can force a sale, but what does it really mean in practical terms? It's not a law and order episode. You can't get the house sold in an hour. You gotta start a court proceeding. Then you gotta go to a case conference. Then you gotta wait for a motion date. All that might take six months. Well, what happens in that six month period? The house might go down further in value. Mortgage rates might go up higher in value. So ostensibly, it's a very difficult position to be in when the market forces are creating such havoc on budgets, mortgages, and the value of the home. And one of the things that's tough about this type of situation is, you know, none of us have a crystal ball. And one of the things I always learned uh, when I was, you know, with stock investing, and it's the same thing with real estate investing, uh, you can't time the market. So, you know, you, you want to make intelligent decisions based on how you think things are going to go. But, the, but we don't know. I mean, you know, maybe the market is going to go down a little bit. Maybe it's going to go down a lot. Maybe it's a little tiny blip and before you know it, it's going up again. And so it's very tough for couples in these situations to make these types of decisions because none of us know for sure, not even the experts, not even, you know, the economists and the, re the mortgage and real estate experts know for sure what's going to happen. So one of the things I always advise people too is just, you know, to do what is best for you, your children, your family on, on all levels. It may not, you know, finance, the financial part is of course one piece of it, but you know, as we touched upon, if, if staying in a toxic environment or an abusive relationship, if you're, if you're doing that and you're staying in a matrimonial home because you're concerned about where prices are going or where mortgage rates are going and all of that, it may be that the, the emotional and the mental toll that is and perhaps danger that there is for you to stay in that situation is not worth it you know it, losing some money is, is a small price to pay for for safety or emotional well-being but you know if there are you know there are some couples where they are you know even though they're splitting up they are you know reasonably amicable or they have a large enough home too where they can kind of coexist on some level you know for people like that it, it sometimes it can make sense but to even the coexistence even those people that are coexisting in the home in many cases, people hire you and I after they've been cohabiting as separated spouses for sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes even years. And they didn't necessarily pull the trigger to come see a lawyer for quite some time. And then when they finally come see a lawyer and they say, okay, now I'm ready to deal with my divorce, then interest rates are up and, home, and the home value may be either flat or going down. And so it's a very difficult situation. I want to mention one more really tricky one when it comes to the value of the home, either flattening or dropping and interest rates going up. Here's a good one. For the last 20 
plus years, the home prices have steadily rose from month to month and year to year. We had a case, uh, we had cases for years where the uh, professional income earner was not on title. Why? Because if the professional was a doctor, an accountant, a lawyer, a broker, the idea was don't put the property in his or her name because if there's ever a lawsuit against that person for professional negligence, you never want the house to be subject to seizure and sale. So it was not uncommon for, let's use the typical example, the male doctor to put the house in his wife's name throughout the marriage. Then they split up. And the idea was that the, the, the law is that the value of the house on the date of separation, which is title to the wife, is equalized. But what happens when the wife uh, and husband split up, but they didn't resolve their affairs for another two years. And that house went from being worth a million dollars to 1.3. Is the husband entitled to the half of the $300,000 rise in value? For many, many years, the answer was no, because the statute, the Family Law Act specifically provides that all assets that are in one person's name are valued at the date of separation. And if it changed after the date of separation, it goes to the person that owns it. Or quite frankly, it goes to the person that lost it. But then along came the decision of about 10, 15 years ago in Corman v. Corman from the Court of Appeal that said in that case, which stood for many cases, where the husband placed the house in the wife's name for the purposes of creditor protection. It was never that he gave her a gift. It was because he placed the property in her name in trust for the two of them. And so therefore the $300,000 that increased after the date of separation is shared equally with the husband. Fine. So that's the law. But now 2022, what happens if that $1.3 million house that's in the wife's name goes down to $1 million and they sell it at a million. Will the husband be able to argue that she has to pay him half of 1.3 as opposed to him only getting half of a million? And that will be the million dollar question <laughs> in the months and years to come because there will be cases where people said, when we split up, it was worth 1.3. House is in her name. I want my half of 1.3 because that's what the family law acts as I'm entitled to. And then the wife is gonna have to use the argument in a reversal way, whereby she says, I'm holding it in trust for both of us. I am imposing a trust on you to suffer the loss on the market value of the home. And that's gonna be a really tricky argument because before the trust argument was made by the husband to say, she's holding it in trust for us. Now the wife is going to have to make the argument that I'm holding it in trust for you sort of against your will. So to speak. <laughs> that, that will be interesting to see how that uh, pans out. Uh, and that's definitely something I can see coming up. So, uh... and don't forget house values generally are the biggest val the most valuable asset in the family's portfolio. And in Toronto, um, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a Toronto home worth a million dollars. So if a house is worth $2 million, which is not uncommon 
for a lot of our clients, um, a, small, a small shift in the market can actually be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And, and then the other outcome of this too, is it'll, it'll affect people's buying power, you know, cause when you split up and then you have to qualify, say for financing and interest rates are growing up and the money that you're getting from your house is less because it went down and, um, you know, it could affect couples ability to, you know, purchase another, you know, their home following separation and divorce. So, um, there's going to be a lot of, I think, negative, um, you know, outcomes for some families uh, as a result of this. And you're 100% right, Leanne. And then one last point to, if we haven't scared our viewers enough by now, <laughs> I will give you one more reason to be worried if you're going through a divorce or separation right now. In order to qualify for a mortgage, whether you are the support payor or the support recipient in a divorce, the bank or the mortgage company requires either a court order or a signed separation agreement to consider your mortgage application. So whether you're the payor or the recipient of support, the bank requires evidence of what support is being paid and received in order to consider either decline or approve the mortgage application. But wait one second. The bank is stress testing new applicants, not on renewals of existing mortgages, but if you're buying another house, you have to requalify. Or if you are going to a new financial institution for your own property, you've got to be stress tested. So when you combine the two, the need for the agreement combined with the stress testing, some people won't qualify for two reasons. Reason one, they haven't negotiated their separation agreement or court order yet. Reason two is they may not qualify because of the stress testing. So these are some real live circumstances which might cause some people to not split up right now. Good point. I still think there's going to be lots of work for family lawyers, though, is, uh, you know, is the recession times, unfortunately, arguments over money often uh, create problems. So um, despite maybe some people will stay together more so because of the situation. And, and, you know, and I think that's the reality, too. If you can't, divorce is expensive. Separation can be expensive. Having two households to run is more expensive than having one. So there may be those families who, you know, it makes sense for them to stay together for the, at least for the short term. Um, but uh, I think we're heading into some interesting times. Hopefully uh, it's short term and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting anyway. I'll leave it at that. And none of us have a crystal ball. So there you, there you I go. I think the takeaway for our viewers is that if you've already negotiated an agreement that has not yet been implemented, have your lawyer and your financial planner take another look at it to determine if you are bound by it or can renegotiate out of it. If you are considering separation and divorce, speak to a lawyer to understand the importance of the date of separation, the valuation date, and what that effect will have on you. And if you previously separated, but you haven't yet negotiated your deal, then definitely consider 
the new imported information as a result of what we talk about today and how that plays into the negotiation of child support, spousal support, and property division. Great advice, as always. Thanks. Uh, not great information. I want to, because I want to stress we're not giving advice here. We're giving information. So great information, Steve. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us today. We'll be back here again next week uh, with another topic on Divorce Explained. Bye, for Bye now. everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.